And so I left. And so I made my way through Gulf Breeze and got to a stoplight and the truck started to idle down. And so instinctively, and again, selfishly, I thought to myself, I can't let this truck I, like die right here in the middle of US 98, or I might get a DUI. And that's the crazy thing is I was actually thinking about that. Never once did I say, you can't get a DUI manslaughter. It was like, if I stall out in the middle of this road and I'm pushing my truck, there's probably going to be an alter... Uh, 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 an incident with a police officer, and I'm probably going to get... So I knew I shouldn't be driving. It's going to be a really neat behind the scenes. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so weird. Because something always magical happens. Wait, what? Did you just make that up? Hey, it's Meredith For Real, the curious introvert. Listen each week as I talk with someone new. The topics are as ADD as I am, but they'll inspire you to stay curious and grow. Big thanks to our location sponsor, the UWF Historical Trust, Military Family, Eagle Scout, Homecoming Court, Varsity Letterman Jacket. He didn't do anything other college kids hadn't done. It's a short drive. I'll drive slow. I'm careful. He didn't think thoughts. We haven't all thought. Yet in a blink of an eye, two girls were dead, and he was sentenced to 22 years in prison on two counts of DUI manslaughter. Today, he's going to share what happened and the unique partnership he developed with one of the girl's mothers, former inmate P22679, current proponent of choice, Eric Smallridge. Thanks for coming to the show. Oh, I'm glad to be here, Meredith. Thanks for having me. Yeah. You know, it's so easy for us to read a headline and hear about like a, a drunk driving incident and uh, we can like easily look down our nose on that because when I was thinking about my thoughts of, you know, driving drunk and that sort of thing, honestly, I had like this caricature in my head. You know, the drunk hiccuping cartoon, uh, dirty, um, maybe sloppily dressed man stumbling out of a car. That's what I thought of when I thought of drunk driving, but that's not how it happened for you. And I don't think that's how it happens for a lot of people. So Walk us through your mindset that night of what actually did happen. Yeah, you know, and, and what you said is, is so accurate. Um, when you see the man in a suit, the lobbyist, the legislator, the judge, when you see these people um, at the bar, you think, oh, they're highly sophisticated. They know their limits. You know, it's not going to be that guy that goes out and kills somebody drinking and driving, you know, and God forbid they get pulled over. Um, and here I was raised in a, my dad was military. We, uh, I wouldn't say we had a silver spoon in our mouth by any stretch of the imagination, but my mom was the school administrator. They both graduated top of their class from university of Miami. Um, and then I was, uh, an athlete, like you said, uh, an Eagle scout. Um, we all know that, that death occurs from, from drinking and driving. Um, we just never associate it with ourselves. And I think that's, uh, kind of what I had done, I had fooled myself into believing that that just wasn't a possibility for me. You know, if you ask me the question, hey, Eric, do you know people die every day drinking and driving? I'd say absolutely. And it's a tragedy. And these people really need to learn how to uh, figure out when to say when. I mean, there used to be a drinking and or not a, a drinking and driving campaign, but it was like, I think it was Budweiser or something that said, uh, no when to say when. And the biggest flaw with that is 
everybody agrees that the first thing that's that's messed up when you have alcohol or drugs is your judgment, your ability to know when to say when. And that's why it's a flawed concept. And I think just like me, um, people tend to hope for the best. And that's, mm-hmm. that's who I was in a nutshell. I was a very happy-go-lucky kind of person. Um, leading up to that night, I had done it before. Um, but I thought that just because uh, it always worked out okay, that it was gonna, that it was gonna always. It had in the past, so I, I thought that that meant it was always gonna work out for me in the future, um, which is such a flawed mindset. And that's kind of where I was mentally. Is that, I mean, who can imagine? I was working so hard in college. I had kind of uh, straightened out my life, so to speak. And what I mean by that is, I was in a fraternity at, at Florida State University. I had moved over to Pensacola to uh, get my act right. Um, and I wasn't doing it. I was, I'm really good with numbers. And so I kind of did it from like a statistical standpoint. Like I was doing it a lot more. Now I'm not doing it as much. So therefore, it's definitely not going to be me now. If it was going to happen, it would have already happened. So I'm in the clear, so to speak. And that's where people, especially... You know, this message that I I try to give is not necessarily aimed at younger folks. I mean, it could be your very first time you get behind the wheel that it's not DUI, it's DUI manslaughter. Um, Or it could be your 1,000th, however you say that, 1,000th time, um, your 10 millionth time. It doesn't matter. It doesn't discriminate. It can be that very next time, no matter how many times you've done it before. And so I really had fooled myself into believing that I was out of the woods, so to speak, and that because I didn't do it very often and I was more mature about it and didn't, you know, overindulge that often. And if I did, then I would get the cab, Um, you know, because back then there was no Uber. There was no Lyft there. You know, none of that was going around. Um, I think the whole society had a different mindset. Also, I mean, it was like uncool to actually admit that you were too intoxicated to drive. So there was a lot of pride going on. That's why I wear Superman shirts sometimes, because if you want to put it in a nutshell, this was my mindset minus the Jesus part. Um, If I had that, I would have obviously been thinking about the well-being of other people, but that was what was not there. It was just the prideful Superman type attitude of, I can handle this. I can do this. It's a, and really, honestly, Meredith, I never knew this about myself, but I, I guess I was a selfish person because that night, and I'm not like to the bone inherently a selfish person. I think we all kind of have that within us. And what I mean by that is I was more worried about if I got pulled over and got a DUI, how would this affect me? And that's where the mindset shift really needs to happen if, if there's ever going to be a difference made in the uh, the number of DUIs yeah. that happen, the number of deaths that come from it, is people need to have that mindset shift of, hey, this is other people's children. This is other people's parents. This is other people's friends that I'm putting at risk. It's not just about whether I make it home or not. And right. I think that's how I thought. It was really mo- mostly about me, and I really didn't think that it was going to happen at this point in my life. Yeah. Yeah, I agree about you think about just, oh, am I in control? Can I handle it? I love the way you worded that. I, I have since thought a lot about this topic. And um, I, the only analogy that I can come up with, it's like 
not wearing a condom while having sex because you don't have an STI. Like yeah. The other yeah, person, right. <laughs> the other person might have an STI, um, so you should probably still wear a condom. So that's kind of the uh, analogy that I have thought about. So tell well, us what happened. Like, w- literally, where were you? Um, tell us, you know, the was it nighttime? Was it daytime? So, so. Th- it was a. It was one of those days. It was. I was at University of West Florida. It was a Friday. We didn't have classes that day, and so um, we decided let's head down to the beach. And so we went down to the beach about noon. Um, and it wasn't like a spring break trip. This was. We. I was 24 years old, you know, and so I had done my 18 year old to 21 year old days at FSU. That didn't work out so well. So a group of us just went down. And in Pensacola, if you're all familiar with it, um, anybody who's watching the, the podcast is the, the dock, the pier area. We always had this little planned meeting spot, you know, whether it be a lake or it doesn't matter. Everybody's got one of those. Mm-hmm. And so we just had this meet this meetup place. We met down there. We were throwing the Frisbee. We were having a couple beers like adults would do. It wasn't like we were breaking out the funnel and seeing who could do it the fastest. We literally had some beers, a couple beers there. Um, we hung out for hours. Uh, after that, we decided that we were going to grab a bite to eat, and then we were going to call it a day. Um, I actually went home, and we were sitting around a buddy's house, and another one of our friends had been working all day. And he came in, and he was telling us about this other, um, that there was a cool band playing down at the beach. Now, this is Friday before Mother's Day, and so... I'm, I'm, I'm really thinking I'm in Pensacola. My mom's in Tallahassee. So I want to drive over for the day, uh, the next day to see my mom and hang out with her for Mother's Day. And so really, I was going to call tonight. But my buddy was like, hey, man, you know, somebody come down there and hang out. There's a good band. And I said, you know what? I'll go change up and we can I'll I'll ride down there with you and we'll go check out this band. You know, I said, but I'm only going to be there for a little while because I have plans to head out the next day and I don't want to be out all night. And you know how that goes. I mean, that's the best laid plans. You know, there's there's a bar, there's a parking lot. Your car's in the parking lot. Nine times out of ten, you're going to figure out a reason why you need to drive that car. And so that's like one of the flaws that I have no solution for. But long story short, I went down there with him. We had a couple more beers, you know. And again, it wasn't a party night. It was a chill band playing on the boardwalk on the bay at this place called Flounders in Pensacola. They make these huge liquor drinks, not having them. That wasn't my, it wasn't my night for that. I wasn't doing that. I was driving. My truck was in the parking lot. I was being responsible, you know? And so again, the only thing that keeps coming to my mind is that slogan, no when to say when. And I could have, I, I thought that I did know when. And so um, the night progresses, more friends come. We're just having a really good time. And again, I didn't plan to be there until it closed down, but time flies when you're having fun, right? And so the lights come on in the bar and they're like, hey, time to wrap it up, everybody. Last call, time to go home. And I was like, oh man, I can't believe I stayed here the whole time. No big deal. It's not the first time I've stayed out till 2 a.m., but I really do have to go now. And so I went out to my car and this is kind of where like the whole faith thing comes in. But remember, I didn't have... I believed in God, but I didn't really, none of my actions, you know, actions speak louder than words, you know, so I, I would have told you I believed in God, but nothing I was really doing. I don't want to say nothing, but 
some of the things I, I was doing didn't align with that. But I believe like maybe he was trying to give me a hint because I was driving a newer vehicle back then and I got into it and it wouldn't start at all. And so um, I didn't take that as an omen. I took that as an inconvenience. I was so determined. Again, I had that Superman going um, so determined that I could drive this vehicle. I was going out of town the next day. So I didn't want to be inconvenienced of getting a, a cab and then having to come back and get the car. So again, I justified it to myself in my mind. And you know why I did that, of course, is because I truly believe that I could get home one. But more than that, I believe that the consequences of any, any decision I made in that moment, that I would have to pay those consequences. At no point did I think two 20-year-old girls are about to pay the consequence for something I know better than to do. You know, and something that's so avoidable. All I, and, and I even called a friend. My car wouldn't start. So the buddy that had me go down there, he also took his vehicle. So he actually came. I called him. I said, where are you at? And he said, I'm not that far. So he came back. And we were sitting there putting the jumper cables on my truck. And, you know, that's where it got kind of interesting also. As friends, we will sometimes ask our friends, hey, are you okay to drive? And here's the thing. If you're asking somebody that, do, do, you, do you really think they're okay to drive? I mean, that, you don't ask a person that's completely sober that you have no doubt about. You don't ask them that. I mean, you're asking a question that you already know the answer to. You know, and I think that's one of the takeaways from this whole podcast, mm -hmm. I hope and pray, is that people don't ask questions that they already know the answer to. Let's be bold. Let's be real friends. You know, not friends. Let's be really yeah. friends that really love each other and say, hey, buddy, I don't think you're okay to drive. Let's not ask the person that we're already pretty sure is intoxicated <laughs> to the extent that they shouldn't be driving if they think they're okay to drive. What's so the answer going to be? Hey, everyone. Just a quick interruption to show gratitude to our sponsors and give you some special deals. The UWF Historical Trust. We shoot the show in the Museum of Commerce and the T.T. Wentworth Museum. And not only is this an amazing step back into the 18 and 1900s, but it's an event space too. How cool is that? You can see everything at historicpensacola.org. If you want to tour one of the 12 museums, and yes, Pensacola has 12 museums, and you get your tickets in person, show the ticket agent one of my emails and you'll get $2 off an adult ticket. You can get emails by texting REAL to 66866. So I don't have kids, but I also wanna tell you about It's Your Magazine. They're a national family-centered publishing company with free parent magazines. They have parenting advice, events, and inspiration. I'm actually in a networking group with a publisher, and this guy is all about family. You can view a free magazine in cities in Texas, Oregon, Washington, and Florida by checking them out at itsyourmagazine.com. And insect. So I've always felt iffy about pesticides. Then the mosquitoes got so bad, I would get covered in them from walking from my house to the car. I called Insect, and to say I've been impressed is an understatement. When the treatment wasn't quite doing it, the owner actually came to my house. He found the breeding sites, identified the species of mosquito, and adjusted my treatment to that species. That's when I found out he's also a beekeeper, and pollinator issues are always top of mind. So if you're in the Florida Panhandle or Gulf Coast of Alabama, give him a call. 
E-N-S-E-C.net. And Dexafit Pensacola. So new thought, the scale is just your relationship with gravity. Now when I get on my scale and me no likey, I say, you don't know me. What does know me is the 3D body comp scan. I can see what I'm made of and what's right for my body. Plus, when you get a DexaFit scan, you also get a consultation because what good is data if you don't know what to do with it? After you know, you can make your fitness plan smart, like expert level 5000. Also, look this up on YouTube. It's pretty awesome. DexaFit.com. Now back to the show. Yeah. So should what should we ask instead? Like, hey, uh, can I, I got, get you a ride? I got you an you Uber know? or just like order one. Don't even like ask. Yeah. When- and that's what I mean. Instead of ending it with a question mark, let's just take away that little curly cue on top and make it a statement. Mm-hmm. You know, let's say, hey, bud, you're not okay to drive, period. I'm going to order you an Uber. Here you go. It's on its way. And you know what? I'll help you get your car tomorrow. You give them a solution. Yeah. You know, you don't present a problem without the solution. And, and that's what I hope, again, to take away. And now I also want to interject that I, have, I do not blame this other person at all. They were doing what I've done a million times where I ask another friend who's intoxicated that I'm pretty sure shouldn't be driving. I've asked them the same question. And, you know, sitting in prison contemplating all of this is where I started thinking about these things like, man, what kind of friend was I? Not what kind of friend was he? He was exactly how I was. You know, we have, it has to do with this. You know, we take this off of our chest and put it on our friend's chest and really, it's because we hope, we pray that nothing bad happens to them, you know, because then we'll feel responsible because yeah. we, we didn't do anything more to try to stop them. Right. We literally, and a lot of the times people will say something like this, hey, call me when you get home and let me know you made it okay. Mm. You ever, ever heard anybody say that? Yep. Yeah. And who is that really for? Mm-hmm. Is that for the person that's intoxicated? Or is that for the person that knows full well they shouldn't be driving, but is about to let them to drive anyway, right? Yeah. And so, like, the biggest question is, what happens when they don't call you? Are you going to be able to live with that for the rest of your life? And I know the answer to that because this gentleman, and, you know, I won't name any names, uh, or I'll just call him Mike. Um, Mike. Tried to, he said, hey, buddy, number one omen, like kind of signal was the car wouldn't start. Number two, Mike's like, hey, buddy, are you sure you can drive? And I was like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm fine. He's like, okay, I just wanted to make sure, you know, because he's about to become a part of this because he's about to jumpstart this truck. So he jumpstarts my truck. And as I was leaving, you know, there was, if you've ever tried to stop somebody from driving under the influence, you know, it's not like a pretty scene sometimes. Sometimes, especially like between men, I mean, women the same, but a lot of times that testosterone riles up and they feel like you're, you're trying them. Yeah, I'm trying you all right. I'm trying to potentially save your life. And you're looking at me like I'm trying your manhood. Like right. all I'm trying to do is potentially save your life or somebody else. And you're mad at me for it. Yeah. You know, and that actually goes to show how intoxicated that person is. They can't even figure out that this person's just trying to save my life and they're not like grateful right. they're mad and it's like uh trigger you know or like <laughs> is that not like are you you're mad because I'm trying to save your life yeah okay yeah. well is that saying anything to you you know and so that was me that night though um so you I wasn't got the like car. irate I just I just 
Go ahead. You got the car. It got started, and then you got yeah. to Gulf Breeze proper area. And um, tell us what happened with uh, the. Tell us what happened from there. How about how you were revving your car, and then right, right. Yeah. So Mike started my truck. I rolled the window down, and I, I beat him to the punch. I said, "Hey, man, thanks. I'll call you when I get home. Let you know everything's cool." And so I left. And so I made my way through Gulf Breeze and got to a stoplight and the truck started to idle down. And so instinctively, and again, selfishly, I thought to myself, I can't let this truck I, like die right here in the middle of US 98, or I might get a DUI. And that's the crazy thing is I was actually thinking about that. Never once did I say, you can't get a DUI manslaughter. It was like, if I stall out in the middle of this road and I'm pushing my truck, there's probably gonna be an alter, uh, 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 an incident with a police officer and I'm probably going to get, so I knew I shouldn't be driving. So I, I real quickly put it in neutral and I just revved the engine a little bit to keep it idling because it was trying to idle too far down. Well, unfortunately the guy next to me, I guess thought I was trying to initiate a, a race. And so when my, my truck was revved a little bit higher than idle, when the light turned green, I literally just popped it in the drive so I could get it going. Um, and that kind of made the truck lurch forward. And so it didn't, it didn't spin the tires or anything. It just lurched. And then I was on my way because really at this point I was like, I just need to get home. And so it's kind of like the horse to the barn thing, you know, like you just need to get there cause you don't want to be on the roads anymore. And so I start going and of course he starts going and he like comes roaring by me. And there's a, uh, a situation in the, in the road in this particular area where it kind of does an S-curve. And in that S-curve, it kind of has the illusion that the right lane ends very abruptly when it really goes around the corner. But it does. But everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people merge there instinctively. And the signs tell you, merge now. And so he comes roaring by me. And as I look over at him and I hear his car coming by, another car comes into the inside lane that I didn't see because of my, my attention's drawn to the car on my right. He comes over into my lane. I try to avoid, I successfully avoid him, but in doing so I clipped the car that I didn't even see in the, the rear of the vehicle and it turns it sideways and spins it out into the median where it hit a tree and both occupants were killed. When my truck clipped theirs, it messed up the momentum of my truck so it actually sent it into a barrel roll down the road of us 98 and the next thing i remember after looking over at the car and trying to just instinctively avoid it was getting out of the rear passenger door of my car um it was the airbags were were the, the radiator was spewing the airbag powder was still floating in the air um and i was crawling out of a, a Jeep Cherokee with no windows left in it, um, out of the back door, hands first, head first, because I was literally wedged in between the front seats and the back seat in the, the, the wheel well down there. And that's, that's the next thing I remember. Wow. And then fast forward a little bit. Um, you were convicted of, for two counts of DUI manslaughter and sentenced to 22 years. But through that process, and I know we're running out of time, but I really want you to share how the partnership 
with uh, Megan, one of the girls who passed away, her mom. How did that partnership arrive when you two... Uh, yeah, just tell us what happened with that, because I think that's pretty yeah. unique. Well, and that's where that's where the Jesus part of this comes in, is uh, the Napier family was very influential um, in the community in Gulf Breeze, but more than that, they were, they were devout Christians. And even through the grief, they knew that I was a, a, a guy trying to better himself, going to school. They didn't know me from Adam, um, but... After the proceedings and everything, after I got sentenced to a very harsh sentence, um, kind of one uncharacteristic of any sentences that were handed out in any time, because, you know, you, your lawyers do precedent and everything, um, they, they started the forgiveness process very early in it to, to the extent that it blew my mind. Um, I mean, even in the first hearings, they wanted to see me punished, but they also wanted to know that they forgave me and knew that it wasn't something that I, I set out to do. And that's the unfortunate thing about DUI is that, I mean, in a sense, we don't mean to, but we are driving under the influence intentionally because we know better than to do that. We have since we were really young, you know, just say no, you know, like all those campaigns that we've heard, we just don't think it's going to happen to us. But this family went way beyond that, and they were Christians, and they say a belief is only as powerful as the actions that it produces. And their actions were amazing um, to the extent that I, I was originally sentenced to two 11-year sentences that were deemed to be, to be run consecutive and then two four-year penalties of, uh, of uh, probation out after the fact. And three years into it, they actually came, like the whole family, Mom, Renee, Philip, the mom and dad, uh, Megan's twin, Carmen, Michelle, Alan, her brother, you know, and it's a lot of times hard for boys, you know, like men, you know, and like, you know, so for dad and brother to look me in the face and, and talk to the judge about forgive, about lessening my sentence in 2006, they decided to change that word concurrent to uh, or consecutive to concurrent, which meant I was allowed to, to do both of my sentences at the same time. So I was actually incarcerated from 2003 and to my expiration, the sentence was going to be 2012. But in 2010, something more amazing happened. Renee had started a foundation called the Megan Napier Foundation. And she was traveling around spreading the, the, the message about the con dangers and consequences about drinking and driving and just positive choice making. She also incorporated forgiveness in there because a lot of people don't understand that. They think that, you know, she's crazy for forgiving me. And she said, no, forgiveness is for the victim, you know, not the offender, you know, in order for her to heal, she had to release that or else she was just going to drag this, tr this tragedy and this trauma through her life with her. Um, and so she said it started out for her, but then it benefited me obviously, because I had another opportunity, another chance at life. Um, and then also in 2010, she went to the governor's office and the head of DOC and arranged a way for me to actually join her giving presentations and uh, you can see that online if you just Google it. Um, I was literally in shackles and chains, and it wasn't like a scared straight program. It was a reality check. And so I would go into military bases with her and uh, just kind of be on display. you know. And I would speak, but it was more of a, of, a, of a display thing. I said, this is what you can reduce your life to with one choice, and it's so avoidable. you know. And part of my presentation is to ask, how many people have to die drinking and driving? And we all know the answer to that is zero. 
It's a choice. It's avoidable, especially in, in times like these. We have Uber, Lyft. I mean, we just, you name it, it's there. And so there's really no, no reason that this has to continue and that people should feel safe when they drive. You know, even if they want to go out and have some fun, they just got to do it responsibly. Yeah, I agree. And I, I like that we've kind of woven in some practical tips. And so I'd, I'd love to um, wrap this story up with some practical tips because, uh, yeah. like you said, and you've said, you know, the couple times that we've talked before is that you don't want what you went through and what the Napier family went through to be for nothing. And you're not saying no one should drink. You're just saying, hey, let's uh, let's rethink how we do this. So thankfully now, right, we've got Uber, we've got Lyft. There's so much technology available to us. So it's not an inconvenience just to call one of those. You can even share it. So I thought of one or two tips and I thought real quickly, maybe you could add one. Um, the Actually, the tip that I think uh, was really interesting I heard from somebody else was about an employer. One of my friend's employers threw a party and offered free Uber rides home and back again next day, day to get the vehicles. And that really impressed me. Um, and so that's that's one tip. Um, but I know that you thought of one or two to share. Yeah, I mean, honestly, and we already know them. Um, you know, the tips are for me, honestly, and this is going to sound pretty basic, is to actually believe that DUI, that, that drinking and driving is life and death. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, in psychology says that everything starts with a thought, thoughts lead to feelings, feelings lead to actions, right? And I think our mindset just needs to be more solidified on how dangerous and, and the consequences thereof the DUI really can be. You know, let's not ask our friends if they're okay to drive. Let's tell them they're not. If there's even a, a slight doubt, let's make a statement. Let's tell them, hey, look, I love you. You know, like, not like that, but I love you enough to make this uncomfortable, you know? And that's what we need to do is be okay getting uncomfortable because that's what, when you really care about somebody, that's what it's about. It's like, you know, we, we say this in business, we say this in everything. It's somebody that really cares about you will make you uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. We don't need that feel-good type of, of thing going on, especially when we're talking about life and death. And so that's what I really my hope for everybody is that the takeaway from this is that DUI is I mean, you are just a fraction of a something. I mean, what did I do differently than the person that got a DUI? Nothing. I mean, we both got in the car thinking we'd make it home and we started out. And then next thing you know, theirs ended in getting pulled over. Mine ended flipping a car and two 20 year old girls dying. I mean, we, we started off with the same offense. We started off with the same mindset that we yeah. would probably make it home because we had before. And so my hope, you know, my, my tip is to honestly believe, look at where you are today. Is all of that worth throwing it all away, sitting in a prison cell? You know, the, the sentence for DUI manslaughter, if, you know, just in case pod, everybody listening doesn't know, it's 15 in the state of Florida, it's 15 years. That's what the book says, right? But let me tell you guys something. It's a life sentence. This is something that I will live with for the rest of my life. If I could, I would obviously rewind the hands of time to that night, and my thought process would be, is this worth my life? And the obvious answer to that is no. Mm -hmm. So let's leave the truck. Let's not try to justify this to ourselves. You're not Superman. Be humble. Care about the next person enough to say, hey, 
I'll be inconvenienced tomorrow and I'll come back like their employer did. Yep. Get the Uber back. The military does it. They they will give a little card to all their service members and they can just show that card and they can get a ride home and the bill goes to the base. That's awesome. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it really is. It really is simple. And, and it, it and does start with the mindset. I that everybody will, uh, will not overthink it and they'll just do the right thing. Yeah, absolutely. And that they'll see it as what it is. Thank you so yeah. much for sharing your story. I am going to link um, information about the Napier Foundation um, in the, the description of the podcast episode and also a way for people to be in touch with, he, with you. So thank you again, Eric. I so appreciate you. Yeah. No, it's my pleasure, Meredith. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. Are you still listening? Just kidding. Of course you are. Since you're here, here's some ways you can support the show. Stalk me on social media, leave a review, share an episode with a friend, or check out my Teespring page for delightfully sarcastic apparel. Links are in the episode description. 